thank you, ladies. That was good. Um, open your Bibles tonight. Am I, ter- am I on? I am on. Okay. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. I don't normally write my notes out on a notebook, but I did today. Didn't have time to type them out, so I don't know if I can follow this or not. In some ways, it looks like a bunch of scribbling, and it's my scribbling, so that's bad. If I, couldn't, if I can't read it, then I'm sure someone else would have a hard time as well. Joshua chapter 1. Just a couple of things we want to look at. Next week, I'd like to give a little bit more back history, maybe in Joshua, and uh, who he is and where he came from. But tonight, we're just going to kind of look at a few things here in Joshua chapter 1. But in Joshua 1.1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance to the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. We're probably going to stop there tonight, but I'm going to, as far as what we're going to cover, but I'm going to read on down through verse 9. Kind of just become, that's kind of a, a, kind of a group there, so to speak, a thought. He, he says in verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And he tells him one last time, he says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let us go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Lord Jesus, again, we want to bow before you, thanking you for the day, thanking you for the rain, God, thanking you for the, just the family time that we've had. God, we want to pray and thank you for allowing us to come back into your house tonight. And Lord, we, uh, as we look at the promises here that, that you made to Joshua, some of the same promises that you made to Moses and to Abraham, and God, as we sung that song a while ago, Lord, I'll fly away, you've made a promise to us to all of those who have trusted in you. God, that there will be a day that you will come back to get your church. And God, that you will take us home. Lord, we look forward to that day. And God, as we read and we study about it, God, our our hearts get a little bit excited. and, And God, we anticipate what that is going to be like. God, what it will be like to be in your presence. God, what it will be like to be in a place where there is no more sickness. Death doesn't exist anymore. God, there's not any racial division. There's not hard feelings. There are not 
hard words spoken to each other. God, there's nothing of that nature. Nothing. And Lord, we look forward to that day. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. Lord, tonight we ask that you bless the reading of your word. We pray that we're strengthened by it. We pray, Lord, that you will show us that you have made promises to us today as believers as well, just as you did to the children of Israel and to Joshua. And God, if we'll only exercise faith to live it out, God, that we can be victorious here in our Christian faith. God, speak into our hearts tonight, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a lot of... One of my favorite books that I like to read on out of the book of Joshua, I've actually had this book quite a while. It looks kind of rough. I'm not even sure when it came out, to be honest with you. Um, I'm looking at the date here, if I can find it. Normally it just jumps. Oh, 1993. So this book came out in 1993. It's almost been out as long as I've been married to Miss Connie. But it's written by Warren W. Wiersbe. You've probably heard of Warren Wiersbe. It's uh, Be Strong, Putting God's Power to Work in Your Life. But it's an Old Testament study of the book of Joshua. Matter of fact, it got wet one time somehow. I don't know how, but it got kind of wrinkly. But some of the stuff that I study out of the book of Joshua, I, I, I pull from this book. It's one of my favorite books. I've read it many times, and I've started reading back through it again. One of my favorite books to read as you kind of study Joshua. So there's a couple of quotes that I kind of want to start my uh, Bible study off tonight with, thinking about uh, being victorious in the Christian life and and we look at Joshua. Joshua is a great example of a godly leader. I mean, he is just a fantastic example. And we look here tonight, and here's what you need to know. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He says, God buries his workmen, but his work goes on. And what that means is this. God has a plan from start to finish. And, and you know, God raises up men and, and women, and, and they, they do great things for him. And, but their life comes to a close, but God's work continues on. We see Joshua here. He is a guy who picked up, under, he, was, he was under Moses as a servant, but he was also, if you go back and study, what's really interesting, we'll, we'll look at more of this next week, but I'll give you just a, just a taste tonight of what we're going to look at next week. But Joshua would have been born in bondage in Egypt. He would have been born there. He would have grown up in Egypt. And, of course, if you go back and read the book of Exodus, you see that God used Moses to deliver his children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. But even when they went out, he was kind of like Moses' right-hand guy, so to speak. And so, uh, and that came to play later on, but when, when they sent the 12 spies into the promised land, if you remember to spy it out, one man from every tribe of God said, out of the 12 spies that came back, only two thought they could take the promised land. One was Caleb, one was Joshua. Joshua is a fine example because I don't know about you, and I don't read this anywhere in the Old Testament. He may have done it, but I don't read it anywhere. If I'm Joshua and I come back and I'm standing on the promises of God and I feel like God says, hey, you can take the land, and God did say that, but ten grumbling spies, ten grumbling men they, they changed the whole nation. In other words, they swayed them to think that they could not go in there and take the promised land, even, God, even though God had already said that they could. They had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died off. Joshua, even Moses, we're going to look in just a moment, even Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. He got to see it, but he never got to go into it. Here's what I'm trying to say. If I'm Joshua, I am one grumbling individual for the next 40 years. Are you with me? 
Are you with me? Son, I'm going to be walking around going, I can't believe we're out here wandering around for 40 years in the desert when we could be over there in the promised land. I am gropping and I'm grumbling, but we don't read that anywhere about Joshua. Nowhere. It's almost like Joshua was biding his time. It was like Joshua was saying, hey, you know what? You guys die off, but there'll come a time when I'll get to go in there and I'm going to lead the people in there. But the thing is, they missed a lot of blessings wasted a lot of time. But this is who Joshua is. He's carrying on the work that, uh, that God had initially called Moses to do. But here's what we also note. Wiersbe made this comment. He says, a wise leader doesn't completely abandon the past, but builds on it as he or she moves toward the future. And the reason that's a really cool in, uh, statement to me is the name Moses is mentioned 57 times in the book of Joshua. And you know that Joshua probably didn't agree with Moses on everything that he did. Matter of fact, Moses had his moments just like I have my moments when I doubt and I question and I, and I drop the ball and I don't fulfill what God has called me to do. But yet, even though he probably had those moments, and even though Joshua could have sat back and said, you know what, if Moses had been a better leader, he would have just said, we're going in the promised land. Follow, you know, either get in behind me or get out of my way. But, you know, he could have griped and grumbled about that. But we don't ever read that anywhere either. We believe, I believe in all my heart that Joshua was a great, godly man, a great leader, who, now, Lord, what I'm trying to say is if he mentioned, if he mentioned Moses 57 times in this book, then he respected Moses as a leader, and he respected him as a godly man. And so that speaks a lot about the character of Joshua. We'll look more next week in some great detail. But we see that Moses has died here. And as the Bible tells us here in verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, his assistant, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant is dead, Moses. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, to the land which I am now giving to them, the children of Israel. See, Moses was dead, but the work wasn't. The work pressed on. And you know, I, I, was, I was in the church here this past Tuesday. I was here uh, over at the, at the food pantry area next door, and I walked over to the church for something. I think it was me and, me and my daughter Megan. And we walked in, and I, I came in that side door over there, and there's all the pictures of the pastors, you know, and, and Meg stopped, and she was looking at them. And this is kind of what this made me think of when I read this this week, is it had all the pictures of the pastors that had been here. And some are still living, some aren't. But that's, I don't believe that's all of them, because as I looked at the plaque of names over there, there's a lot more names than there are pictures. And... But you look back to when the church started or the, when the ministry started here in this area and you look at all the men that have gone on, but they all had a purpose. They all served a purpose in a certain time here at this church. They've come and they've gone, but God's work continues on. That never changes. Men, God will raise up men and He'll bring up, raise up women and they'll be used in different places in different times in ministries but listen God's work never ever changes it keeps pushing on it never stops and we don't need to forget that tonight but the first thing I want you to note here tonight maybe two things we're going to look at possibly three depending on how long the first two take but the first thing I want you to notice is God promised Joshua 
that Israel would enter the land. And he tells us this in verses 3 and 4. I read this to you all ago. He's given him a promise. He says, every, because see, he's telling him in verse 2 to rise up, it's time to go to work. But in verse 3, he says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. He's making a promise here. He says, if your foot touches it, it's yours. And then he tells him in verse 4, he goes, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. Now, this is not the first time this promise has been made. This is just the fulfilling of that promise. It is, it is finally coming to play. God wanted it to come to play 40 years earlier. However, because of their disobedience, and there's a whole Bible study there in the, in the disobedience of Israel as to why they're even in bondage to begin with. But still, as we look here, you can go back into Genesis 12. Genesis 12, and you'll see where this promise originated. Genesis 12, 1 says, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That promise right there has not changed. It is as much real today as it, as it was the day God gave it to Abraham. And, it says, and of course, you can read on down, and I won't read you the whole thing. Um, but it talks about here how they departed and they left where they were at. And of course, now Abraham didn't know where they were going. But he tells them, he tells them in verse 7, God says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so uh, we see the promise originate right there. We back back up to, if you were to go back into Joshua chapter 1, my Bible's got it all on the same page. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 4, which is the very end of the book of Deuteronomy. This is where Moses is about to die. And again, he confirms this promise with Moses, God does. It says, Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Because of his disobedience and his sin, Moses was never able to go into the promised land. You know how sad that had to be? To, to do all that Moses did, and because of his lack of he got to see it, but never enter it. To me, that had to be heartbreaking. But, but that's, that's how that played out. And so, and then we could go back into of Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot has separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abraham, or Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there 
to the Lord. So we see two promises there to Abraham, one to Moses, and this is not the only promises, but this is just promises that we see being fulfilled here in the life of Joshua. Now, as we look at this, we probably go, well, Brother Vance, what does that mean for us? We're not Hebrew, uh, and this, this is Old Testament. What does this mean for us in the New Testament? Well, I'm glad you asked. Did you ask? Okay, I knew you, I, I could look at David and I knew he wanted to know. That's why I wrote that down. Okay, so what does that mean for us? God has given us, listen, He's given us all a promise of spiritual blessings if we would just honor Him with our life. Matter of fact, if you were to go over into, and I know we're doing a lot of flippings tonight, um, but in he, um, not Hebrews, but um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul wrote this. He said, blessed Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, I like when Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians because he uses that a lot, that, those two words, in Christ. See, when you and I gave our heart to Jesus Christ, we, we are in Christ we are in Him. I like that. Even the Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit indwells us. So that's a spiritual blessing. And everything, listen, we have got as much... Let me, let me say it this way. Brother Don Patterson made this statement one time, and I, I loved it, and I've never forgotten it. But he came and preached. Um, I had invited him to preach a... Might have been a sunrise service or something like that once at a church I was pastoring. But he made this comment. He said, you know, he says, when we got saved, and as Paul says, we're in Christ... He says, and then when we get saved, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He said, we got as much of God as we were ever going to get. He said, the difference is there are times when He gets more of us. And I've never forgotten that. So there's not about it. There's not a, okay, I got a little bit of Christ and I, I hope I get more of Him. No, you've got all that you're ever going to get. When the Holy Spirit indwelled you, He didn't partially indwell you. He lives inside of you, all of Him, part of the Godhead Trinity. But the thing is, there are times in my life when I allow God to work more in my life than I do with others. It's kind of like what I was talking about this morning, um, about if we are sinful, if we, have, if we have sin in our lives, God can't work through that. I probably shared this with you before, but it would have been a long time ago, so you may not remember it, so I'll share it again. But I learned a very valuable lesson one time. It's been many, many years ago when I graduated from high school. Uh, my uncle uh, was over the water department there in Patterson, and so I needed a summer job. So he's like, Vance, you need a job? I'm like, I sure do. So I came on, and uh, one of the things that we did was, uh, you know, just repaired water lines, things of that nature. And some of the water lines in, all, in the city were old, very old. And a lot of them were, were galvanized, and, and we were changing some of those out to PVC. Because there's a problem that you have with galvanized lines that I did not know until then. And, and, but, uh, but I learned a very valuable spiritual lesson. But there was one day... This lady, she called and she says, I have no water pressure. And we told her, they said, well, I told her, we said, we can go around her and look at what's going on up to the meter. But beyond the meter in your yard, that's your responsibility. So if something's going on, then that's something you've got to hire a plumber for. But we will come and look at it. And oftentimes, if it was an elderly person, we would fudge and go into their yard and work on it anyway, even though we weren't supposed to. But I remember going there that day and getting a shovel and pulling up their meter box and getting down there so we could see their meter. And we broke the meter loose and we got in. Of course, it was old, so we was already planning on putting a new one in. But as we removed a section of galvanized pipe and we looked at it, 
you could barely see through that piece of pipe. I was like, what in the world? You know, I was an 18-year-old kid, so I didn't know. And my uncle says, he says, yeah, this is more than likely the majority of her problem. He said, you know, if, w there may be other galvanized pipe running to the house. Well, I don't know what all they've done. He said, but here's what happens in galvanized pipes. He said, all there has to be is a small burr inside that pipe. He said, it doesn't have to be big at all. He said, but over time, as that water flows through that pipe, he said, the mineral deposits in that water will catch on that burr. He said, and it will take time. It takes a lot of time. He said, but those mineral deposits will catch. And at first it's nothing, but for long a little bit more will gather. He said, mineral deposits begin to collect on themselves. He said, and all of that that you see in there, that's a collection of mineral deposits over years. You couldn't stick a pencil through that three-quarter inch pipe. I mean, it was, it was just clogged up. We, we took that loose, put in all new stuff, and, and turned the water back on and asked her to turn her on. She's like, what did y'all do? We thought we just cleaned out the crud, you know, that had gathered over time. But I walked away from that thinking, you know what, there's a spiritual truth in that. Because, see, here's what happens in my life as well. That if I allow sin to pile up in my life, unconfessed sin and I just let it just keep, continue to gather and gather and grant you sin will collect other sins okay they will begin to gather on each other you let one little sin go unnoticed and you don't think you're hurting anything it will lead to a bigger sin and that will lead to a bigger sin and to a bigger sin and here's what happens over time it begins to just kind of clog up your spiritual life oh you're still a Christian I don't believe you've lost your salvation I don't believe you can that's just my, my belief of what Scripture teaches. But what happens is, is when those unconfessed sins begin to clog up, just as that water can't flow through that corrupted pipe, the Lord cannot work through a corrupted vessel. It's not going to happen. He's not going to work through you. If you are clogged up with sin, He cannot work. He's still there. He's just not doing much work in your life because you're not allowing Him to. What you have to do is allow Him to break all of that up in your life and get it out so that you'll be a clean vessel that He can work through. The Bible tells us one example after another or shows us that God does not work through dirty vessels. But for whatever reason, me at the top of the list, I think that He does because I will often get away from God and kind of stray away and... and not doing anything major wrong, but just not focusing on God like I need to. And I'm expecting God to still work in my life. And he has to remind me sometimes, Vance, you want me to do a great work in your life, but when's the last time you and I talked? Well, God, not, see, we're probably not like we should, you know. And God's always reminding me, you want me to do a great work in your life, then you've got to meet with me on a daily basis. I've got to keep the flow clean. And so that's what goes on in our life. So God has made us this promise um, he has blessed us. We are blessed in Christ. But what you're going to see all the way through what we talk about tonight is in order for God to work, in order for God to work in Joshua's life, there had to be faithfulness on his part. Joshua had to exercise faith. As God told Moses, I mean, to Joshua, he says, My servant is dead, and therefore arise. That arise is a big word. It's huge. Because Joshua could have sat back and said, Okay, God... I want the blessings, but Lord, I don't want to cross over into that land. Those people, I remember what they looked like 40 years ago. I'm older now. I'm not as, I'm, you know, I'm not as agile as I used to be. But God was saying, wherever you put your foot, I will bless you. But you've got to get up and put your foot. You've got to take that step. You've got to exercise faith. God will bless you and I the same way today. 
But we've got to exercise faith. It's not going to happen apart from that. Now, he also promised him victory. He not only promised him that he would, um, that he would bless him with the land, but he promised him victory. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Now, again, if you were to back back up, you can see these promises fulfilled um, because they were made earlier. And if it makes you feel any better, we're not going to get past the, the second one, okay? All right, now we're going, praise the Lord. I felt God move just then. He's only going through point two. In Genesis 15, if I can get there, my pages are sticking together. In Genesis 15... Verse 18, if I wrote this down right, Genesis 15, 18 through 21, it says, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of, the, of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The, and of course, he gives all the Hittites there. But again, there's that promise to Abraham. And then in Exodus 23, he gives them a warning and I wrote this down because I thought this was noteworthy in a lot of where we are today as people and as a country as we just got through celebrating our nation's birthday. I thought this was noteworthy as I was reading it today. But in Exodus 23, I want you to notice what God told Moses here in verse 20. And this is kind of lengthy, but I want you to get this. He said, Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way. Now, he's making him a promise, but he's also giving him a warning. He said, Behold, I sent an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel, I will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Felicia from the desert of the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your, land, into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. Shall, but listen, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it, surely, it will surely be a snare to you. Now, as I read that today, I thought, God... That speaks volumes to me. I know you were speaking to the children of Israel, and I know we're not the children of Israel, 
But I look at America today, and I'm telling you, here's what I see going on. And, and it's easy to see in all of, our, uh, all of our, our lives in some form or fashion. But over time, what we've done is, is our land has slowly started compromising in, our, in, in the things that we accept and the things that we don't accept. In other words, the church, if we're not careful, we look a little bit like the world today. The Christian people have adapted to some of the things. Listen, I'm only 50 years old, and that's not that old. But I can remember things that 30 years ago that didn't exist that exist now that I never thought would exist. I look at things. I told my kids as we were riding to church this morning uh, with Connie, we were talking, and I said, guys, honestly, I said, I never thought we would be where we are as quickly as we are. I know the Bible says that God says it's going to get bad closer toward the end. We can expect it, but I never thought we would get there this fast. 30 years ago, we wouldn't have tolerated some things that we're tolerating now. But it's kind of like, it's kind of like getting used to the dark. If somebody was to stand back there and start dimming the lights, the lights, if you slowly dim the lights over the next three hours, these lights would begin to dim. There's a good chance you wouldn't notice that they're getting dimmer because you would, you would slowly and gradually be getting used to it. If we dim the lights immediately in the next five seconds from a, a, a what it is now to very dark, you would go, whoa, who darkened the lights or who turned the lights down? But over a three-hour period, you probably wouldn't really realize it. I used to weld on locomotives, and I remember something that... Uh, and if you're a welder, you know what I'm talking about. But on my welding shield, I had, a, I had a, a lens about yay big. And when I would first put that lens in there, I could see very good. Now, it was a lens, but it had a, a, a plastic covering on the outside to keep slag from sticking to the actual lens. But I remember when I first put it in there, I could see good. And I would weld, and I would be like this far apart welding. And I knew when it was time to change my lens because there were times when I'd strike an arc and I would be like this. Because, you know what it was? I couldn't see. But it took, you know, and I didn't realize how dirty my lens was. And I go, man, I go, well, I can't see. And I would slide that plastic thing out, slide a new one in, and strike an arc. It was like, wow, it was so bright. But I had slowly, over time, it began to dim and get dirty and, and, and splatter and spatter and all began to get on it. And I couldn't see as good. And I didn't really realize how dirty it was until I changed it. We're like that today as Christians. Time has slowly changed and we've compromised in so many areas in our lives to the point now that we've compromised so, so much that I don't know that we'll ever gain that ground back. I really don't. We have let things go on in our country for so long without taking a stand. I don't, I'm not saying we shouldn't stand up because we should, but there are things that I don't know that we'll ever get back because once it's gone so far, it's almost impossible to back it back up. That's why you have to stand up when the time is right to stand up. And if we keep rocking on, I almost had to apologize to my kids the other day. I, I, I felt like looking at them and going, I'm sorry I raised you in this. Because I honestly, I, I'm just going to be real with you. I sat in the shower the other night. I told my wife, I got out of the shower, I said, you're going to think I'm crazy. And she goes, what? I said, I just sit in the shower and just cried. And she goes, what in the world? I said, I just cried because I know that I'm going to leave my kids one day. If God doesn't come back first, I'm going to leave them here without me. And they're going to have to make it without me. And God only knows what this place is going to be like when that time comes. If God doesn't come back, and it broke my heart that I was going to have to leave them to 
endure whatever mess we leave. And I got news for you, honestly, and this is how I feel. It's my fault and it's your fault that it's the mess that it's in because we have an opportunity to make a difference and we choose not to sometimes. We allow things to creep into our lives. We've allowed things to come onto our TVs and we watch them and we laugh at them. We allow things to creep into our schools and we don't stand up because we don't want the fight. We don't want the argument. We don't want the opposition. We think God expects us to be peaceable people and He does. But He also expects us to stand up when the time is right to stand up. He expects that of us. And so... As we look here, God has promised him a vic- them a victory, but he's also warned them that if they compromise, if they compromise their beliefs, they would not only be going against him, but it will cost them something. And it did, in fact, cost them something because the children of Israel did not heed the warning of God. They did compromise their stand with God. They brought on a lot of the idols of the other, of the other people that was in their land. They began to worship those gods. And that's why you find the children of Israel going into bondage because God had to send them there for them to refocus on Him. And you say again, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, yeah, it's everything to do with, with us because here's what God has promised us. He's promised us that just as he would be with Joshua and he would give them victory, he's, uh, he's given us the same promise. We can look here in Matthew in a hurry, and I'm almost done, church. Um, but if you look here in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, Verse 23, this is what we call the Christmas story. But it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. God is always with us. Isn't that awesome? Man, y'all should have just erupted into an amen just then. Amen. Yeah. Okay, still didn't work, even after I, I, I begged for it. All right, go into Matthew 28. Matthew 28, what did, what did Jesus tell the disciples there? He tells us the same thing. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you sometimes. No, he said, always. He said, I am with you always. He gave them a promise. He said, look, which is why he told them, I think it was in John 14, uh, one of the places he told them. Pretty sure it was 14. I could be wrong. But where he says, it is so important. He said, it is vitally important that I go back to be with the Father. He said, I'm with you here right now. But in the, in the fleshly form, he was kind of limited to where he could be. He said, but if I go back to the Father, I'm going to send the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, which we talked about a while ago, and He's going to be with each and every one of you all the time, everywhere you go. He said, it is so vitally important that I go back so I can send Him. And when He comes, He's going to guide you into all knowledge and truth, and He will teach you the things that you need to know. And then He also says over here, the writer of Hebrews, He says this, And I'm getting close to being done. I keep saying that so you guys will feel like, you know, feel encouraged when there's really 20 more minutes. No, there's not 20 more minutes. 
Go to Hebrews 13. Notice what he says, the writer says here in verses, um, again, he's just um, kind of re reiterating something. Here he says, let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do for me. Now I want to look at one last, well, two last things. But one is really awesome. I love it. But in Romans, Romans, and yeah, we could just read these and not let you look them up, but isn't it fun to look them up? Romans 8, 31 says this. Paul wrote, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I don't remember who said it, it's, but I read a long time ago where uh, some author wrote, he says, when God, he says, when man stands, when a man or a woman stands in the authority, in the authority and power of God, he is the majority. Because why? He has God standing with him. If God leads you to stand on a principle or, a, or an issue to take a stand, you may be the only guy standing. Listen, who did we talk about last Sunday night? David. David was the only guy who believed in God's promises enough to walk out on a battlefield all by himself. But what no one realized except little David, this is what I think, that he and God together, they were the majority that day on that battlefield. Why? Because he was in the presence and the power and the authority and the will of God. And God blessed that. One last thing. Go back in the book of Joshua. I love this part. This just is just an encouragement for us as we walk through this life. And I know this life is difficult and, and no, we're not about to promise, cross over into the promised land, so to speak, but we do encounter battles every day of our Christian life. And so Joshua is being given here in chapter 1 the promise that God would not leave him or forsake him. If you, if you jump over into Joshua chapter 5, we'll see that in chapter 3 they've already crossed the Jordan River and they're getting ready now to go take Jericho. And this is the last thing I want to look at. But they're getting ready to go conquer Jericho. And something really neat happens here in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. As, the, as they've come across there and they've camped and they've already set the stones up that God told them to set up as a, as a, a reminder to the generations that come behind them what God did that day there at the Jordan River. Joshua here... In verse 13, it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went, went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now this is awesome to me. He's walking out there. He sees this guy standing there. And he looks like a warrior, obviously. He has his sword drawn. Joshua looks. And more or less what Joshua is asking him is, whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on the other side? It's almost as if Joshua was saying, I want to know who you are. And we're about to settle this right here, right now. You know, if you're, if you're for us, that's good. But if you're not, we need to talk. That's kind of what I get from it. But then notice what it says. So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to my servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off. 
Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. This commander of the army of the Lord here is thought by many uh, scholars and, and commentators, and I would have to agree with them, that this here is a pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I believe that to be true. And I'll tell you why. First off, is because of, it says here in Scripture, the first thing that I would like you to note is that he looked at Joshua, he says, take your sandals off. You are standing on holy ground. An angel would not make it holy ground. Only God Himself would make it holy ground. See, angels have come and angels have gone throughout the Bible and worked and ministered. They're ministering spirits. That's what angel means. They're ministering spirits. But God is the only one who is holy. Scripture says that we're to be holy because He is holy. And if you remember the experience there where God met Moses at the burning bush, He said, take your sandal off. Take your sandals off because the ground you're standing on is holy. Why was it holy? Because God was there. Why is this ground here holy? Because Jesus is there. It's the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And so he's standing there. And what I like about this is when he walks out there, before Joshua realized who he was, Joshua looks at him and says, Whose side are you on? What does he say? He doesn't say that I'm on, on any side. He says here, he says, No. He says, But as commander of the arm of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Here's what it means in a nutshell. And this is so awesome. I'm going to close with this thought. And I just absolutely love this till I can almost bust. It is so awesome to me. But here's what he was saying. He's looking and he's telling Joshua, I don't take sides. I am a side. I am a side. You just need to decide if you're on my side or not. Because if you're on my side, we're about to go in there and be victorious. But if you're on my side, you got bigger issues than me because you're already going against me. And so today what that means for us is this, that if we walk in the way of the Lord, then we're going to be victorious, church. Hear me. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that life is not going to be hard. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be obstacles. There's not even going to mean that there are days that you just want to sit down and quit. It, it, it's going to mean, it, might, it might not mean any of those things. But what it does mean as long as I'm in the will of the Lord, being obedient to God, and being faithful to what He has called me to, God is always leading the way. He is faithful. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. He's not going to kick me to the curb. As long as I'm with Him, I'm going to be okay. It might not turn out the way I want it to. Matter of fact, there's a lot of times it's probably not going to turn out the way I want it to. But as long as I'm with God, it's going to turn out the way He wants it to. And believe it or not, that's always going to be the best way. That's always going to be the best way. So this is what he's telling Joshua. The promise he was making to him was this, that if you will make sure that you're on my side, then you're going to be okay. And today, that's where we're at. And I'll, I'll stop with that thought. That's where we're at today as individuals and as a nation is, is we need to make sure we're on God's side. God doesn't take sides. Okay, we need to make sure we're on His side. We need to make sure we're following Him. And I think that's where I know, I ain't going to think, I know. That's where our nation has gone wrong. Is there was a time when we had people who actually tried to follow the leadership of God. And now we don't have much of that anymore. And there's no way that we can be successful without the leadership of God in anything that we go at 
individuals, a church, families, a nation, especially if we profess to be a godly nation. Until we put God back in His rightful spot, we're going to continue to struggle. And we're going to continue to fall. And we're going to continue to have all the issues that we got. There is a, um, all these things that you see going on in our country today. It is nothing more than a lack. It's just, a, it's just an absence of God in the presence of a lot of lives. That's what it is. And so you and I have got to make sure that we are on our knees praying. Because I do believe that if we'll seek God... God is a big enough God to right the ship if it's His will. But it's going to take God's people getting on our knees and asking Him to do so and to forgive us of where we have failed Him and where we have dropped the ball in so many ways. So tonight as we get ready, I'm going to ask, I don't know if the ladies have a song or not, do you? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's have a small invitation tonight. Use this time just to pray. We just sing a few verses. But pray for your families. Pray for your for uh, for your community, pray for your church, for your, for your nation, for your leaders, that, that we would turn back to God like we need to. So let's pray tonight. Father God, so thankful, Lord, again, that you hear our prayers. And God, that's where we're at. Lord, we need prayer. We need to be praying people. Lord, we need to be seeking you. We need you in our lives, God, more than we need anything else. Lord, we can come up with a lot of ways that it needs to be fixed or things we could do differently, God. But at the bottom, the bottom line is, Lord, we, we need to turn back to you. We need to get serious with you. We need to fall on our faces before you, God. We need to ask you to forgive us and to heal our lands. God, to do a mighty work. And God, apart from that, there is nothing that's going to solve the problems that we have in our nation today. Another leader is not going to be the answer if that leader is not following you. Uh, another Senate or another House is not going to be the answer if they're not following you. God, it's got to be you leading the way. God, I pray tonight, Lord, that it would start with me. And I pray, Lord, that I would, I would focus in on you, God, and I would be everything that I can be. And God, I would pray that I would allow you to use me however you choose to use me, God, to make a difference wherever I'm at in the days that you have allowed me to have. 